Happy Monday, my Liberty Kitty Cats. And before we get into today's awesome conversation, if I do say so myself, I got to make sure that you know, you could have already seen it. You could have already heard it. You could have seen it live as it happened. You could have even tossed some questions, some comments out there. You could have done all of this if only you had been a member of the Lions of Liberty Pride, if you were one of our many amazing supporters on Patreon who fully fund this show, who help us grow this program. You can find more about that over at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, but we really have something for everybody. You can get ad spots on this program. You can produce an episode. Uh, You can get discounts on merchandise, uh, monthly calls with the host of Lions of Liberty. We really go out of our way to make sure you get value for contributing to us and helping us grow this platform. Not to mention all sorts of bonus audio and video content. Like I said, we have live streams of many of my interviews. We also have bonus shows, bonus segments with guests, shows like Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, Brian McWilliams on his Good Morning Fuckhead, his nearly daily show. You really don't want to be missing all the great content behind the paywall. Check it out at patreon.com slash lions of liberty we need to empower people with not just the philosophical tools but the inspiration to break free from the system welcome to the flagship lions of liberty podcast your weekly dose of education inspiration and real world application from the top minds in the liberty movement if you want liberty we need to be better leaders better husbands better fathers better friends better businessmen All right, Kitty Cats, I am here today uh, with someone that, well, look, I cross-pollinate. We're, we're all friends here in the Libertarian Podcast world. My friend Pete, he beat me to this guy. I wanted to have him on. Next thing I know, he's on Pete's show. So I do recommend actually going back and listening to Pete's interview with my guest today, too. Uh, I think this is a really big, complex topic we're discussing today. Uh, so I think they'll be able to serve as a good one-two punch uh, with our, our different approaches. But I am very pleased to welcome the uh, host of the Popular Liberty YouTube channel, as well as uh, he is the administrator of the Part of the problem, inner circle on MeWe, the the rebirth part of the problem, inner circle from another podcast friend, Dave Smith. I'm pleased to welcome Andrew from Popular Liberty. Andrew, are you ready to roar? You mean like Scar? (laughs) Just like Scar. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's what I'm here for today, that uh, Uncle Scar is about to come tell all the Simbas about uh, what Mufasa didn't tell them about the northern part of the kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) Would you call it, are you the Scar of the Liberty Movement then? Is that kind of how you're seeing yourself? Are you saying Scar was really the good guy? How deep are we going to go? No, no, (laughs) it's the, uh, no, I I feel like that's the way it's going to come across. But uh, yeah, the, uh, yeah, this concept of archotropism, it's, you know, a lot of people take it as a argument for menarchy. And, you know, I'm not making it any ought arguments. I'm making an is argument that this is, in fact, something that exists and is something that we have to figure out how to deal with because we haven't figured out how to deal with it yet. And the fact we haven't is why we're losing. So this concept, and it is, uh, again, it's called archotropism, not anarchotropism. I know we're going to hear the arco and everyone wants to put the anarchy in there because we're all libertarians. We all have that on our minds. Um, we're going to dig into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, know it's a, I know there's a lot of points to cover, but first, 
It's your first time here, Andrew. I do want to get to know you just a little bit first. So why don't we just dive in? Just give us a little bit of your background. I know you come from like, you know, kind of that engineering, uh, computer programming mindset uh, background, but how did this all merge uh, with the ideas of liberty, with this whole, you know, this whole crazy world we're involved in here? And uh, I'll let you tell the tale, but I think it's pretty interesting how you sort of came upon this idea. Yeah, well, I, I came to Liberty like a different way. I came through like the the biblical route, and like I didn't come to it by you know Ron Paul or reading Rothbard or anything like that because I was too young at the time when Ron Paul was doing his thing and being amazing, and I only kind of found out after the fact. But uh, you know, I, I basically by 2017 I had kind of come to the idea. Okay, I know I'm a libertarian. I know I kind of believe in this <clears throat> not aggression print principle thing or the silver rule as it was in the Bible. And, you know, and, and that was kind of what, you know, I, like I had already kind of gotten there and I had already, you know, come to a lot of conclusions about how the world worked. And, you know, as a, as a uh, programmer, as my, as my, uh, you know, job back then, the thing I always noticed, you know, I, I, you know, there, I always had like a strong science background too, like, in just a fascination with, with, with it. And it's like I always took a lot of time to study a lot of different types of science as a, uh, you know, as a, just a, a hobby, you know, it's not, you know, not as a discipline, but as a hobby, but the, uh, or I should say not, not as a profession, but as a hobby. And you know, I, and I had noticed one thing after another that a whole lot of, you know, the, you know, problems with the state, they seem to almost and, and like, you know, and, and the left too. It's like they always seem to like mimic thermodynamics, and you know, the, and this was something I, I just kept noticing it over and over and over again. And even like when I read the Art of War for the first time, it's like I couldn't help but see, you know, you know, this is you know talking about consolidating power and you know how to, uh, you know, things like concentrating your forces and trying to divide your opponents because uh, yeah, and. And I just I just kept noticing these you know thermodynamics principles about and you know eventually it kind of hit me that all of the you know you know after listening to kind of Dave Smith talk about the state you know I found I found him in like 2018 or 2019 somewhere around there and I uh, you know I, I and you know just listening to to him and uh, and then finally like reading Rothbard and you know reading a little bit of Mises and. I, you know, it, it just hit me that, oh, this, you know, this really is all based on, you know, thermo, thermodynamics. It's a mixture that you know, the rules of power are a mixture of thermodynamics and economics. And this is where I got the archotropism framework. And, you know, and what, and the way this, uh, the, you know, this, this marriage of uh, kind of economics and thermodynamics, uh, you know, manifests itself is in this, uh, you know, this chaos order power cycle where the state, well, at least in democracies, not quite true in, you know, an, an anarcho covenant or a, uh, or a monarchy is that the state will, you know, try to, uh, you know, like in a democracy, it will try to cre- deliberately try to create chaos in order to be the one to extract the order from it later and, you know, derive power from that. And, yeah, you know, because you be, what what ends up happening, you become the the state becomes the owner of that new order. You become the thing keeping people safe, and this is kind of kind of similar. This is comes from a uh, George Soros's law of uh, reflexivity, which basically states that you end up creating what you fear through something that I, I process that I call pseudo demand. What that means is it kind of mimics demand. 
So if you, uh, you know, remember that people always behave their incentives, not their ideals, and then they'll t- kind of use their ideals to rationalize that, you know, whatever incentives they, they fought, choose to follow. And what ends up happening with this, uh, you know, law of reflexivity, is, and, and you end up creating what you fear, the way that usually works is that, excuse me, the, uh, you, you, uh, because like if the state comes and threatens me, that's the action. They're, the action is to threaten me. I end up paying them because, you know, and basically what it ends up being is, you know, I, it's almost as if I have a demand to be threatened. (laughs) And, you know, it's, instead of like, you know, the way I have demand for food. And so the market supplies food, I have a a, a pseudo demand to be threatened. And therefore I pay for a supply of threats to my, to my person and self. And this, this ends up being a perverse incentive that ends up being like kind of the basis for, uh, you know, why we have a state is that there is value in being threatened. People are willing to pay, pay people to threaten them. I'm just going to butt in because anytime I'm going to, I'm trying to do the most, I've heard you talk about this a lot. So I think I kind of understand some things, but I want to come from the most layman's approach possible. So anything that I kind of think of, I'm going to kind of jump in and try to get you to clarify. So can, can you kind of clarify that idea of, of the demand to be threatened? Like, where do you see that demand coming from? Basically it just, it, it exists. And therefore you, because, you know, you have two things. One, is that power is value? Yeah, you know, I make two assumptions in archotropism. One is that power is valuable, and the second assumption is that hierarchy is inevitable. And so, in other words, if you know, if I just any kind of power, criminality or a statecraft, which by the way, same thing. You know, but you know, I, I I agree that the the state is a mafia pretending it's a human rights organization. There's no, it's like I'm not saying the state's a good thing here, and. But because you know, this thing is profitable, people are willing to pay you if you threaten them, you know, you know, or you threaten force against them. Basic, you know, you know, as far as the market's concerned, there's no difference. Are you saying the demand comes from like society, yeah. then, sort of? Demand comes from others to threaten you. Okay, well, I call it pseudo demand because it's not okay. real demand. It's like I'm not, you know, I don't want to be threatened, but because I'm willing to pay, you know, someone who threatens me, the markets, you know, from the market's point of view, there is no difference. You know, but you know, I'm willing to pay someone for food. I'm willing to pay someone for threats. And, you know, I mean, from the market's point of view, I guess, I guess the point is it's proven by your actions and and my actions too, because I pay my taxes too. Why? Because I'm threatened. So if I wasn't threatened, I wouldn't pay those taxes, at least not maybe if they were shut up in another way, I would, but. And if you were strong enough to repel them, you wouldn't pay them. You know, if, if you were in like a, a position where they couldn't get to you, you wouldn't pay them because you weren't afraid. And it's like, Okay. So it's like if you're out living off the grid in the middle of nowhere and you're just kind of doing your own thing, they don't know where you are and you know that they don't know where you are. It's like you're not going to pay them because you don't need to. And they, I mean, their threats are meaningless because they don't know where you are. And the uh, uh, but yeah, it, it, this is it, it's a real perverse incentive of, re- of reality. And again, you know, people behave their incentives and then rationalize them backwards so what ends up happening is that, you know, people will, you know, have this thing, they, you know, about half the country right now, they see that it, it is profitable to be, you know, part of the, part of the state somehow. And, you know, the, and they will find reasons, good or bad or whatever, to, you know, get stuff out of it, you know, out of this aggression. And what, and so like, it was like the bottom 80%, you know, it's like the top 20% pay like 95% of all those, you know, <laughs> Net taxes. It's like they're all they're the only net taxpayers. Everybody else is like free rider. The bottom at like eighty percent of America is like all free riders or something like that. And so what it ends up ha- and people will find reasons for for it. They'll say, oh, we need 
you know, education or military defense or police and roads and bridges. And like, they'll find any number of reasons to rationalize this thing backward. And, but the, but the incentive is that, Hey, you know, I, you know, if, uh, if someone is basically what the state ends up providing to the, their, to their voters or to their clients, so to speak, is aggression as a service. They said, hey, we are a hierarchy that is specialized for statecraft, for uh, you know, providing aggression as a service to you. And if you pay us in terms of support or you know, how, however you're in votes, so I guess that's the system we're in right now is votes. If you pay us for that, we'll go aggress against people and get, and get you value for it. And, you know, maybe you're not getting as much value back as you think you should or whatever, but, you know, or if you're a libertarian, you don't want any at all. But, you know, hey, a lot of people, they they look at that and say, I'm subjectively in my own, remember, value is subjective. It's like they they will say, hey, I'm getting more back than I'm paying for it. Maybe I think I should get a better deal on it, but, you know, I'm getting value. And now if you're, if you're one of the, you know, top 20% net taxpayers, well, I'm sorry, you're screwed. (laughs) And you know, you're kind of out of luck there, but, but yeah, this is, this, uh, incentive, it exists and people will just rationalize any number of, uh, reasons to, for it to be them to be allowed to partake in it. And, the, and this is kind of the basis for archotropism that, you know, a, a, uh, state can, can, uh, you know, take advantage of this because basically what, what it is, is, Hey, we want an aggressive order as a service. Uh, you know, but if you think, if you uh, uh, say you believe in like defense, you be, uh, libertarians believe in defense, of course. Well, the, uh, the way I, I you know, that kind of gets perverted is that, well, the best defense is a good offense. And so that therefore you have, if you want a defensive order, well, the best kind of defensive order is an offensive order, which is aggressive, unfortunately. And th- I, 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 this, and this is one thing you'll see in, uh, it, that's so basically the market ends up supplying people an aggressive order just it's just like that because people want it and it, it's profitable to them and they'll and it and because it is profitable they'll find a reason to you know make it okay morally or whatever and, and if you see that as sort of a law a law of nature if you will does that sort of imply that even if we could magically snap our fingers tonight and just end the state or what have you that tomorrow that state would rebuild because that demand in our society would remain. So it would just, it would just take maybe another form or maybe even almost the same form. Well, the, uh, yeah, this is why that it ends up getting to be kind, you know, mistaken as an argument for minarchy. And again, I'm not making an argument for, Oh, we should have a minarchist state. I'm saying that, you know, this is the reason why we have one in the first place. And the, you know, the, this is not why we, you know, what I'm going to be talking about today is not uh, why we need a state. It's why we have one in the first place. And gotcha. so, it, yeah, if if we had that magical button that, you know, if you press it so hard, would your finger get a blister? It's like, yeah, of course, I would still press it. But, you know, it's like, you know, the people you have to recognize that the people are still incentivized to have this thing here. And they will. And, you know, and because of that incentive exists and it's not going away. You know, then, and there are ways to make it go away, and we can talk about those another time. Yeah, probably another time because that's a longer conversation. You mentioned anarchotropism. There are anarchotropic forces, and excuse me, the but uh, we we won't get to those today. We we have way too much to get to just for the anarchotropism. But uh, yeah, yeah, this thing will come back because it's there, and you saw this in other and historical anarchies where they were dealing with this force. You know, of nature, one time after another, 
Uh, it just kept coming back and coming back and coming back until they said, fuck it, just give us a king. And, and gotcha. both times, you know, you've had two major, you know, you know, really major anarchies, you know, what you could call anarchies. One was in the kind of medieval era of like uh, Frisia, which is kind of like northern Germany. And the other one was like 3,500 years ago in ancient biblical Israel, which was a full-blown anarcho covenant. And the Frisia one was, had, a, had an element of democracy to it, so it wasn't quite a full, it was a property rights-based democracy or anarchy, but, uh, you know, because it didn't really have a government, but it did. But anyway, it just wasn't very, very powerful at all. So you, uh, de facto, was, it was more of a de facto anarchy, whereas the one in biblical Israel was a full-blown anarcho-covenant, like a Hoppe-style anarcho-covenant, and voluntarily agreed to and everything. So the, uh, it's like, and both times, you, end, you know, you ended up with, uh, you know, a lot of war and a lot of, uh, you know, like warlords trying to take over and make themselves king in Frisia. You know, you ended up with, you know, wars that, you know, ended with a, you know, one of the uh, the warlords getting to be king. And in, uh, you know, in the biblical and in the biblical anarcho covenant, you know, basically they got invaded like 15 times in 400 years, six times they got successfully taken over. And by the end of it, they're like, fuck it, just give us a king. We can't do this. We can't be responsible enough to maintain our own anarchy. We can't be, we can't, we can't, and we just want to outsource our liberty and our protection to a king who can, you know, save us. And it basically what I, what I, what I end up describing in this, uh, you know, in this framework, there are six laws and the, uh, and basically what I'm describing is the how and the, how and the why. You know, the what happens is this chaos order cycle. The why is the, uh, you know, kind of these six laws. All right. Well, then uh, I will let you continue to guide me down uh, on, on these six laws. So why don't we just keep keep diving right in? I don't want to distract too much from, from the main topic here, but Alrighty. I'll continue to butt in where I think we need clarification. Sure, whatever. And, uh, I'll, you know, you just interrupt me if you ever need to clarify anything. The first law yeah. of archotropism, you know, is the value of power is relative, not absolute. Therefore, the value uh, can, uh, of power can neither be created nor destroyed. It may only be transferred from one wielder to another or transformed from one form into another. The sum total value of power is always conserved. Now, I think, you know, this is where I've made a few uh, mouth typos in my past appearances. I'm going to try to do better today. Is that the... Uh, yeah, say, save the best for, for the Lion's Liberty appearance. Yes. Yeah. I've been trying to get better and better in my presentation. But I've been consistently, you know, I will every now and then I will make a mistake where I say power is conserved and like, no, 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 it's not the power that is conserved. It's the value of power that is conserved. And you can kind of prove this to yourself logically when I say that it is the value is relative, not absolute. The reason for this is if you think of what the value of power is. It's the it's basically the value of coercion, and that and the value of coercion is basically relative to your ability not to be coerced. You know, if I'm going to be, you know, trying if I'm going to be like a robber and I, you know on the uh, you're like a mugger on the street, and I'm going to do you know walk up to Mark here and and say, "Give me your wallet," and I, you know, and I, I'm pointing a knife at him, yeah, and and uh, you know, basically if you know he you know he has an a, a uh, because I have a weapon, I'm more powerful than, than him. You know, I can probably take him on and he has an incentive to, you know, like member pseudo demand. He has an incentive to, you know, give me his wallet. And that's the, that's the value of me doing that to him. 
Now, on the, you know, unless I pull out a gun and point it at you and suddenly bingo and all of a sudden the knife ain't so great. And right. because now that now there's a new weapon that's entered the enter the game, now that value is pretty much negative. And I and I shouldn't have done this. And this was a terrible idea. And oh my mm-hmm. God, please don't shoot me. And this so and, the, in that scenario, would that sort of mean like the value was transferred to me? Yeah, when we're looking at that's the, exactly the what okay. it was in this scenario. The 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 value is still a you know it's percents of a hundred. So basically, when I had the knife, basically I would you know, let's say I don't know I, I don't know if I could take you in a, in, a, in a fist fight or a knife fight, but let's just say I could. Let's just say the, the the split was like 80-20 because I don't know, maybe you could take me, maybe you could disarm me and take the knife and put it and put it through my my throat or whatever. Okay. And you know, but now that you pulled out that gun, it's like it's like 99 to 1 you. <laughs> it's like I'm not gonna be able to cross this distance in time for you to not like shoot me in the in the chest or something like that. I'm a dead man. So the uh and I, you can kind of and this is like one of those like funky things about uh, the the remember you know how the left. Because this is something my father always taught me is that, Andrew, you don't always need to reinvent the wheel. If you want to understand how to do something right, find someone who really knows what they're doing and just copy them. And so this is something, uh, you know, that that when I was first kind of deriving these uh, laws, I really, really took time to, to, you know, look look at and study the left. Because like the left, they understand power and they have just a love for it. And when you love something, it means you really understand it. And so with the, uh, the left, they would always say, just like, you know, make these arguments that were based, that were saying like the value of economics or whatever was, you know, like zero sum. They always had this zero sum fallacy. And, I, and that was what initially cued me into this was that like, why is it that they always have this, this zero sum fallacy? You know, because they talk about inequality and stuff like that as if it's a problem. And, you know, for any Austrian, you know, or any, basically any, uh, you know, non-Marxist or whatever, you know, we, you know, we basically say, no, inequality is not a problem, you know, because there's more than enough to go around. We just create, you know, the market will just create more and more and more and we'll all be fine. Everyone will get their fair share, get the, you know, whatever share they need or what, and can afford. And, you know, it's not inequality. It's the problem is the poverty that is the problem and it's all the state's fault, et cetera, et cetera. But they would just be, the left would be so insistent that this inequality is a problem. And it never made sense to me until I realized this, that, for the left, you know, they're not talking about the economic value of wealth or, yeah, they're talking about the political value of wealth. Because if you yeah. uh, understand that, you know, basically all, you know, you have to basically, I, I define power two kinds of way. You know, one is the, you know, the, the non-coercive power. Anything, this is anything you can possibly imagine that is non-coercive, non-political. This is, can be like market power. It can be, you know, manpower. It can be, you know, just wealth and money it's the wealth power and influence yeah. side of it basically. Wealth, power and influence yeah and our anything that is non-coercive i call that potential power and the and anything that is coercive i call that political you know the, the unjustified power is something we i call political power and so if you if you are thinking of you know by the way this is why the the, the uh you know uh, here, let, let me give you the, ex- the example to kind of uh um, you know make this a little clearer if you have like let's say you have a hundred you know, hundred people in the room and each one each one of them has a gun and a and like a, a sack of money. So each one of them the hundred people, each one is holding a sack of money and a gun. And so like 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 what what's the value of coercion for you know each of the of the people? You know, not much is really only they because they each have like basically an equal share of the power. 
Now, if I were to, and if I were to double the amount of guns, so they each have two guns and a sack of money, then the, uh, basically they, they, uh, you know, the, we, we could say, Hey, the, the amount of wealth in the room has actually gone up, but the, the, the ability to coerce each other has basically stayed the same. Now, if I were to, let's say I, I I'm going to you know back to the hundred guns and hundred bags of money. If I, you know, press a magic button and 99 of those guns disappear, you know, and the and the hundred money bags still remain, that one gun get, just got a whole lot more valuable. And so basically, and, and, and in that case, you would say that because of the, uh, the amount of uh, guns in the in the uh, in the room went down by ninety nine. You would say, you know, it's a major drop in wealth because I mean, guns are wealth. Yeah, you know, because the you know the amount of wealth in the room just went down, but the power basically stayed the same, and and that that one gun just got a whole lot more valuable because that that value of power is always conserved. And now I can and now I can uh, you know point that gun at everybody and steal the money back because I'm basically gone in the room now because I'm the only one with a gun, and that, and so that's the uh, you know so that's a, a a weird way that you know that power and wealth can actually move in op- that economic value and political value can actually move in opposite direction, and hmm. so because and because that you know when I said you know remember Rothbard in Anatomy of the State he made the point that you know this uh, kinetic power or political power because it's predatory it basically you know, ends up you know. You know, actually decreasing the amount of power in a system because you end up disincentivizing people to create more wealth. So if basically you have this, uh, uh, you know, I consider you know, I, what I call in, uh, predation is you know the uh, the consumption of political power because what en- because it ends up driving down the amount of power actually in the you know in the uh, system. So that you know, even though the value will always stay the same, the amount of power in a system can go up and down and fluctuate, usually along with the you know, how wealthy the society is, because you know, wealth, power, and influence, wealth and power are interchangeable, and all you know, and same same thing with like manpower. You know, manpower is you know, in terms of politics, is a consumable because you know, I can send that manpower off and go conquer or something like that, and you know, these are all ends you know. Forms of power are, end up being, uh, you know, kind of consumable, and when that, and the only part of that, you know, that, uh, and this is something that it's a little, you know, different because I can go from like, let's say we're doing have a, a regular non-coercive, and we're we can go from like, uh, you know, I you know have labor at my job that earns me money, I can turn around and use that money uh, to buy food, which I then consume into myself, and. Basically, we just went from you know potential power to potential power to potential power. We never went to kinetic, basically, because we went from you know manpower in the form of labor to man to uh, wealth. It was is a new kind of power. Then we went to uh, you know from wealth we went to uh, food, which is like another kind of wealth. And then I ate that, and it, and that food went into my body, and now we're back to manpower. And we never we never went kinetic there. We never went predatory. And so, and so when you're doing activities like that. You know the amount of power in a system doesn't drop. It's always it's conser- even there, right there. The value is conserved because this is a non-predatory action. Now, again, if I go and I you know use like my gun to steal your food, then uh, you know I basically I've I've disincentivized you to you know do do work or or, or you know basically you, let's say you're the shopkeeper uh, or that you're the farmer. Uh, I've disincentivized you to do your work. Because you know, why should you do your your you know your work for somebody else's benefit? This is something Rothbard pointed out in Anatomy of the State. So, would you say that 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 type of power is basically 
politics is basically the mechanism through that type of coercive how that type of coercive power sort of ebbs and flows through through a society yeah basically that you know the, the uh there you know i, I kind of li- liken this to, you know it's kind of like a buffet and the state is the one fat kid at the buffet that has a gun to keep all the other fat kids away they're the one they're, they want a monopoly on the buffet of power and the uh this kind of gets us into the second law of archotropism which is you know very related that power seeks consolidation from lower concentration to higher concentration and you know predation in quotes is defined as the act of consolidating power so this and so basically what this means is that since you know power you know seeks to be seeks consolidation from low concentration to high concentration this is like the strong prey upon the weak. It's kind of no duh, but the because uh, you know the, the weak people they they can't they don't have the ability, and what ends up happening with you know with this is this is where you get into that perverse incentive of pseudo demand. Now yeah, remember where we said that okay the we you know basically the the weaker you are you know the the more you know a predator is going to want to prey on you. You like that like that you know when the uh, when the lions are you know going after the uh, little gazelle. They don't want to go for like the big one that looks strong and fast. They want to go for like the the weak one that may have broken its leg. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, you always want to go for the low hanging fruit because it's easier, it's less dangerous. It's like I mean, do I want to, you know, go after like the big strong? You know, it's like when I'm a robber, do I want to go? You know, and you know, do I want to go after the cop or do I want to go after like the small five foot tall woman? You sure. know. You know, it's, it's like, you know, the, the cop is a known threat. It's like, I don't want to go after that guy. He can defend himself and he'll just pull out his gun and, and handcuffs and be like, all right, surrender. It's like, no, it's like if I'm a criminal on the street, by the way, you know, you know, you know criminals in states, again, you know, mafia pretending to be a human, a, a human rights. So the, uh, you know, it's like it, it works the same exact way because these are both predatory acts. Now, you know, be, you know, basically what you get from this is that weakness invites aggression. Because of that, because they, you know, the weaker you are relative to me, the more valuable that predation is because there's a lower risk cost. And, you know, if you have to, you know, do like a, you know, a cost analysis of, you know, risk reward benefit, going after the weak, the weaker person is a much more, you know, it's much, much less risky and that's a much lower cost. Therefore, you know, the, there, there is more value in going after the weak person than the strong person, you know, and, so if you have something like this, this is where I'm going to get uh, you know some libertarians upset at me. You know, hey, if you're a degenerate, you know you're making yourself a target. And remember, it doesn't. I'm not saying this is moral, but you know, this this is the way, in fact the way the system works is that if you are going out and doing all of these acts like fornicating, you know, having taking out tons of debt, just being an alcoholic and a drug addict, you know, and you know all, and you're doing all of, the, of these things that make you weak you know because like let's say you know hey like how much can you fight off like let's say you're, you're a, a, a whole society of this and you know let's say you know how, how much are you going to be how easy is it going to be able to to fight off a foreign invasion if your whole uh if your whole uh country is you know you're is too debt ridden to fund a to fund a military defensive military campaign you know, or you know, from all the consumption you've been doing, or you're all too, you know, dr- you know, drug addicted and alcoholic to be able to do all, to fight a war uh, profitably or or effectively. You know, or you're too mentally ill because you like you never met your dad, and you know, because your mother was a prostitute or something like that, or you were born out of wedlock. 
you know, you know, due to fornication or stuff like that, and your whole society is like that, you're not going to be cohesive enough or, you know, organized enough or powerful enough, strong enough to fight off a foreign invasion. And when you have more... This is where we kind of, to me, like, it's really just fascinating to me how you sort of, how this all sort of ties in, like, to how this was, not to, to use the term, but the genesis of this for you was reading the Bible and, and kind of coming to these ideas. Mm-hmm. And in this context, you know, because a lot of people look at the Bible and maybe the Ten Commandments and think, oh, this is just a bunch of moralizing Christians here. But when you look at it at the con- through the context that you're describing here, it's more like, no, they're just kind of telling you the things you should want to do to have a strong society so that you are not preyed upon. Yeah. And basically what you saw in the book of Judges, which is the story of the anarcho-covenant that lasted for about on and off for about 400 years, is that, that you know, whenever they were strong in, in their morality... You know that they, they never had problems. It was only that when they, you know, basically forsaked uh, their or forsook their their morality, and they went with these Canaanite religions, which were just barbaric. Like, oh my God, you had like, you know, uh, like human sacrifice, you know, child sacrifice, ritual bestiality, you know, like rape as like a you know, as like a sacrament, and, and you went to like war, you went to you would go to war to you know get captives to sacrifice them to your demon or, or whatever, and just had like one, you know, F up. Am I allowed to swear on this? Oh yeah, uh, please yeah. do. You just had one <laughs> fucked up thing after another. And you know, in, in this, in these Canaanite religions. And so when the Israelites start forsaking their religion, it, you know, to go, uh, you know, worship these Canaanite gods, it's like, no fucking wonder they got invaded. Like, there's no way this is going to, uh, you know, give you a stable society. This is going to give you just mental illness and s- just sickness. Yeah, it's like there's no, you know, no wonder they weren't able to fight off the, uh, you know, their invaders. No wonder they look like easy targets. And, you know, and uh, you you also see some other stuff in the Bible where, you know, the, like, or I should say, in the in the law, where you know, this is one objection I'll get from atheists every now and then. And you know, every time I explain this to them, they never, you know, seem to they never seem to get it. And if they do, they just want to be invincibly ignorant. It's like you know, what I'll say, like, oh, there were a whole bunch of. Uh, you know, really bad things in that law. It's like, is your God evil or something like that? And, you know, and, and basically you had like some times where, remember, these are barbarian. You know, this is 3,500 years ago and 3,500 years more primitive. And so you had a lot of uh, just beliefs in there. Remember, this is an anarcho-covenant. There is no state to enforce morality. And, you know, there, there is no, there's no centralized police force or anything like that. This is, all of these laws, they have to be enforced voluntarily. Yeah, you know, because the people are incentivized to, uh, you know, enforce them. Basically, the only laws that really got enforced were like the property laws, and because people had incentives to enforce those. So what would end up happening is, you know, you can make a law, like you could make a law that says, you know, uh, you know, don't kill your kid, but you know, they're like, I'm a barbarian. I believe I have a right to kill my kid. And so when, you know, basically when you have that attitude, you can make a law, but but without police officers, it's basically a letter of Santa. You know the way Michael Malice said. So what the what the uh, the god of the uh, you know the writer of the of the law would, would would do would say that all right all right all right I get there's there's no police and and this law has to be involved enforced you know basically voluntarily by self. So what they what he would do was he would try to set the 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 bar slightly higher than whatever their barbarian beliefs were, you know just so he could kind of get them to be a little bit more civilized. It was a damage control mechanism, like with the uh, you know like with the uh, you know, there was a law that hey, if you if you wanted to kill your you know kill your kid, you know you or kill your son, you had to give him a trial first. You know, so like if your kid is mouthing off to you, 
you can't just kill him. You have to you know, give him a fair trial where he can plead his case. And see, and what that ended up doing was, uh, you, know, be, you know, because the previous system had been you can kill either of your kids, male or female, and, you know, and without a trial. And so he's like, okay, 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 okay. okay because I'm not going to be forced. I'm not going to be, be around to be the policeman. You know, I'm just going to say, say, okay, you, you can't kill your daughters. That, that's not happening. We're not doing any honor killing. So we're getting rid of that entirely. And if your kid is like really violent and destructive or, wh- or whatever, you at least have to give him a trial before you kill him. And, you know, so, like something like that might have been really useful for that, uh, that Parkland shooting kid. You know, because this kid had the FBI called him like, I don't know, like like 40 something times. You know, it's like a law like that might not, not might not have been so bad. But, you know, because like, let's face it, a parent doesn't want to kill their kid. And, you know, but they think they have a right to. And, you know, hey, if there's no police to stop them or or to retaliate uh, or basically to declare retaliatory force against them, if they do something, because that's really what the police are here for is is vengeance as a service as so, so that, uh, basically, it's like, all right, well, let's just try to raise the bar a little bit so that, that, you, know, that you know, to try to control the damage and or make it slightly less. And you and you find one law after another like that in the Bible where you're know, in the old in the old covenant where it's like, hey, there, there's this really, really barbaric belief and practice that these thirty five hundred years ago, uh, you know, Jews ha- you know, had about what their rights were. And, you know, the, and the and the writer of the law is just like, OK, OK, OK. Let's just try to make that a little bit less self-destructive. And, <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, a, let's at least have an extra couple steps before you kill our kids. Yeah. Or it's, or it's like, you know, if, if you're basically, they had a, a, you know, another belief that was really bad, which was like, oh, it's like, if we go to war with, an, a, a, with a, uh, a, a neighboring nation or a neighboring state, and uh, we, we, we come into a house and we kill all of, all of the family, except for the virgins. You know, basically, that the you know the the practice back then was you raped her and you killed her, and that basically that was the practice, and they believed that they had a right to do that, which was like this is how barbaric these people were. And what the uh, writer of the old covenant did was okay, okay, okay. You know, so the, you know, like could you at least give her like thirty days to grieve and bury her and bury her family and you know grieve over that, and you have to marry her, so like you have to take responsibility for her for the rest of her life. Uh, you know, and then you can rape her. <laughs> it's, it's like he's not condoning rape, you know, obviously. And and you see in other places where you know he says like, oh, and if you if you just like rape you you rape any woman is a death penalty crime. So you see that in other places, and you know there is some confusion there where they say you know the word rape is like oh you have to give her like a certain amount of money or you marry her. The the reason that's a different word back then. They don't use that word the same way. That word back then uh, means that you uh, would uh, the word rape in 3,500 years ago. That word meant that oh, you you are going to pretend you're going to marry her to get her to sleep with you, and then you don't marry her. That was rape. It's like that's a very different word, and that's why the the, the punishment for that was you either had to give her a, like a lot of money for that, or you had to marry her. That was why that was a much more reasonable you know punishment for what rape meant back then. But this is 3,500 years later in like four different languages. The, that we've been translated through. So it doesn't quite mean the same thing anymore. And, gotcha. and, the, and then atheists will throw that at me. I'm like, you fucking ignoramus. You have no idea, cl- no clue what you're talking about. And <laughs> you know, rather than try to explain it to him, I just block him. So, <laughs> so I was like, my, my blocking policy is inspired by Michael. Malcolm. It's one of Andrew's laws. <laughs> yeah. And so the, basically this, uh, 
you know, but you know, we but we get back to the uh, the Jews where they would do all of these just barbaric acts that were far more barbaric than they already were, and therefore they lose their liberty because they lose the ability to fight off the uh, you know their invaders, and that's the uh, that's the main problem with you know these acts of degeneracy, you know, is that they make you a target, and it's like okay, maybe you have a right to partake of all of these things, and by the way, you did have that right under the anarcho covenant, like gambling prostitution, uh, what, what else? We have drugs. You know, all of these things were completely legal under the Anarcho-Covenant. Completely legal. Not even regulated. And the uh, and it's like, you had a right to do them, but you're a fucking idiot if you do. You're just making yourself a target for the Canaanite neighbors who were not that friendly. And, and this happened over and over and over again until they're like, fuck it, just give, we can't be responsible, just give us a king. And then the, you know, the uh, God was, you know, was like, no, 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 you got to tell him this is going to be a really bad idea. He's going to do horrible things. He's going to be a bad tyrant, and he's going to put like a 10% tax on you. And, you know, I, and basically, I know what your, your audience is thinking right now. Only 10? That sounds great. Yeah, <laughs> Sign that's me exactly up what I'm thinking. Thing. Sign me up great. right now. It's like, have you seen the Democrats? They're pushing 90. He's a piker, not a tyrant. <laughs> All right, guys, before we wrap up here, I got to let you know about one of our great sponsors, our longtime sponsors at Lauren Zotti, Italy. If you are a fan of coffee, if you like a nice fresh cup of joe to wake up in the morning as I do, you're going to want to check out our friends at Lauren Zotti, Italy. They deliver fine premium Italian coffees right to your door in these nice little tins that look so wonderful sitting on your counter there. And if that weren't all enough, these guys are great libertarians. They are Patreon support of this show they are absolutely worthy of your support if that all wasn't enough these guys do more than just sell coffee they also help other entrepreneurs set up their own coffee businesses help them acquire equipment acquire financing everything they need to start their own coffee business start their own coffee shops so you definitely want to check them out for that reason if that's something that's been on your mind either way just fantastic people at Lorenzotti Italy amazing people fantastic people you'll want to support them if you're fans of the show heck even if you're not if you're listening to this by accident Check them out anyway. They have great coffee. Lauren Zotti, Italy. You can find them at laurenzotti.coffee. That's L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I dot coffee. And you do not want to forget your Lions of Liberty listener discount. Just use discount code ROAR for 10% off your order. We got some more laws to get through. So what, what law is next? Yeah. And so basically you end up, uh, you know, because of this, uh, uh, you know, you know oh, oh, yeah, we need, to, we need to get moving on. Basically, uh <laughs> Yeah, because here here I am. I was holding out hope we could still get to some of the solutions later, but I think we're still going to have to focus on the laws. I think I think you were right about that. Basically, (laughs) that you know, this is another because remember that we have that archotropism order, you know, chaos order power, uh, you know, chaos order power sequence. You know what ends up happening because because whenever you create new wealth, you remember that uh, all you know all of this is always conserved because if you now if you create new wealth, you are creating new power. That devalues all of the all of the previous power that was in existence. This is why the left has an has a uh, incentive to burn down burn their cities to the ground, because basically pr- production and they actually say this where they say production is exploitation, where they say that uh, because of this you know that because uh, you've created new power this is now power that is unconsolidated and pr- productivity ends up being predation against the left and against the state. Because you've devalued, but like kind of like inflation, hmm. you know, you've devalued all of the previous amount of power in a system. And so, you know, when you're trying to consult, you know, from their perspective, they see being pr- productive as being predatory against them. And 
you know, you again, n- never mind what they which explains why the rich are always under such ire. Because if you're rich and you're powerful yeah. and you're not the state, and you're then creating you are... new wealth that's not theirs, hmm. and this is yeah, this is why, and this is why they have an incentive to burn their own cities to the ground. Because you know, again, if if every you, know, you can get basically more powerful three ways, you can you know by yourself become, increase your own power just by being you know a stronger person or whatever. You can increase your network, you know, and you know bring a lot more people t- around you, or you can punish other people and bring them down in order to you know be cut and build yourself up. Because it, basically, whatever someone gains, another must lose because this is a zero sum game. So they can burn their cities to the ground and make everybody else so much poorer, but because they're still the state, they're still in charge, they are more powerful. And this is another perverse incentive that you will see the left and the state behave because this is in their interest. And the reason you don't see this all the time is because the the third law of archotropism, that the economic power uh, or or the economic value of power is subjective. And this is where you get the... uh, you know, basically, if it's subjective, that means it's subject to time preference. So, in other words, the reason why a state typically won't, you know, you know, uh, eat all of its predation or eat all of the wealth of society in just one big binge is that the uh, they're in, you know, you know, a predator has a incentive, you know, based on time preference to kind of you know spread out the predation over time so he doesn't eat all of its all of his meals because basically he's not pre- he's not productive. This is something Rothbard also pointed out in Anatomy of State, is that you know they have an incentive not to not to eat their very last meal, you know, not to consume everything, lest they they find out that was their that was their last meal, and there's nothing else to predate upon, and they're going to die, and they don't want to they don't want to do that, and but you know the uh, basically you have something like a, you have you can have like a low time pref- a high time preference for power, which is. I really want to consume uh, the, the, poten- the potential power and turn it into kinetic power, political coercive power right now. And you know, I can't wait. I can't defer it. And I got to have this thing right now. And this is what you find with the left. The left has a very high time preference for power because, and because they want to, you know, tend to over over consume. You know, this is what that ends up looking like. Because if they're, you know, what what you end up doing is because if you understand that, you know, wealth. Basically, is what creates hierarchy and stratification. If you're trying to overconsume, and you, you know the, the amount of wealth you're going to have in your society is going to come down, so you end up with a flatter and flatter hierarchy, which looks like equality. This is why they, this is where they get that idea of equality from, the, as that being a good thing, because this means they're at maximum consumption. And the uh, and you know, but if you have like the right that does believe in in hierarchy. You know, they have a low time preference. This, this means they have a low time preference for power, where they're willing to defer quite a lot more of the uh, of the you know of that predation of that gratification from predation. In fact, they're willing to defer quite you know uh, uh, some forms of power and, and coercion entirely. Like they don't want to do a welfare state. We don't think that's a good thing, and so they're just defer that entirely. And and. The, and again, we're speaking about broad groups, not the uh, not the politicians themselves. They're, they're, that's a different story, and we'll get to that. But you have, and then you, uh, your final group is libertarians who basically want a zero, uh, you know, a near a zero or near zero consumption of political po- uh, of power. Because you know, let's face it, we don't believe in coercion; we believe in the non-aggression principle. So therefore, they have a zero time preference for power. This is where you end up getting where, where we want kind of want hierarchy, but it, it has to be all voluntary, and that's the, and that's the main thing is that. 
you know, you know, it, whatever, you know, if you want equality or you want hierarchy or you, or whatever you want, so long as it's voluntary, we don't have a problem with it. This is where you get that from is that, you know, liberty and, and, and you can predict that these, uh, you know, if you believe that left is equality, right is hierarchy and libertarian is voluntary, you know, the, I can say all three of those with just your time, by just describing your time preference for power or in, or in terms of coercion, political power. And this and so and and that's why I like this the, you know those definitions a lot better. I use them. I use left, right, and libertarian differently. I use the you know based on the time preference for power definition. Uh, other people don't use it that way. They use it the other way I described. But my way predicts their way. So I, I, it's like I really believe mine is better. And the uh, but what and but uh, you know this is something that. You know, this is yeah. You know, you've, pro- you've probably seen this argument around a you know you know going around a p- kind of post libertarian Twitter is that the Constitution uh, you know the reason we have this is by you know, by the way this time preference is why we have a a, a big government today because what the con- you know basically the, we didn't get a big government because the Constitution failed we got a big government because it succeeded you know, remember that Lysander Spooner quote that the uh, you know it's like oh you know what what you know. The big government today was either because the, uh, you know, the the state allowed, for, you know, the constitution allowed for it to happen, or you know, it was unable to stop it. In either case, right, it's unfit to exist. It, yeah. But right. yeah, basically, it, you know, I can I can say not only did the constitution allow for that to happen, it guaranteed it, because basically, what ended up happening, then th- think of it kind of like you you did an investment where you underconsumed, you saved money, and you invested it in appreciating ass- assets. Basically, because of this low time, you know, what the Constitution did, remember, is a right-wing coup. And so what ended up happening was it was as if they put a, uh, it, was, it was two parts monarchy. The Constitution is two parts monarchy. This is the Supreme Court and the executive and one part uh, a, a republic. You know, that's, the, that's a higher time preference for a, a version of power. So basically, you had two, two-thirds of it is a low time preference for power. One-third of it is a high time preference for power, a, a type of government. Yeah, this is something Hoppe talked about a lot. Hans Hermann Hoppe talked about a lot that monarchy is a much lower time preference form of government. So what ended up happening is they ended up almost like it was as if they put a. If they, imagine that power has an interest rate the way like wealth has an interest rate. Again, these two are interchangeable. And imagine that you put a high interest rate, artificially high interest rate on the, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, on the on the amount of wealth. What would happen is that you would get a crap load of, sa- of savings because the market isn't able to, c- to properly clear between the amount of savers and the amount of uh, debt you have consumers in terms of debt. So what would ha- so what th- what happened was the Constitution basically put an artificial uh, price floor on the interest rate of power, and they made it so that the the uh, the, the reptiles that rule us you know for a long time they had to basically underconsume because they and uh, you know you know save up their power and never use it. And this, and because of that, that you know, the, you know, this is what uh, you know underconsumption looks like. Basically, you'll get a bit, a because you have bigger, uh, you're leaving more wealth for the people to be productive with. What ends up happening, you'll get more and more and more and more wealth. And eventually, when the reptiles finally are able to break the constitutional restraints, there's all of that wealth just sitting there, waiting to be you know consumed. And this is what two world wars look like. And uh, yeah, and. You, and uh, you see this again with, uh, you know, kind of remember, there's all this uh, comparison of the United States to Rome. And with Rome in their first 230 years, remember that uh, you know, political power is the coercive and violent kind. And, and uh, 
you know, where, where Rome was like a pure republic that, uh, you know, in their first 230 years, they had like 26 civil wars. We got away with one. And the, uh, and basically that's another easy way you can kind of prove to yourself quickly that the, uh, the constitution was in fact working because if we were a normal republic, we would look a lot more like Rome. By the way, 26 was the number of civil wars. That doesn't count the external wars, which you know, we have plenty of those too. We have plenty of those. We weren't better in Rome on that, on that, uh, on that front. But yeah, and, I think we're competing pretty well. Yeah, now. in terms of civil wars, you know, we did a lot better. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, uh, but uh, you know, but you know, when you had real unrestricted democracy that emerged in Europe, you know, remember, uh, you know, so in Europe you had like fifteen hundred years of like real hardcore power accumulation on, under Christian monarchy. Christian Christianity being the lowest time preference religion, basically, you know, store up all your treasures in heaven. In practice, what that means is either give them to church in, ter- in terms of charity or give them to your children, you know, and, and let your children be productive or whatever with, with them. That's what that means in practice. So it means up saving, a, you end up saving a crap ton of money uh, with your, uh, you know, and your low time preference government of, of monarchy is also very low time preference because, you know, it's, you know, one king, how much can he do? You know, it's like, how much can he really consume? Not much. You know, Robert Baratheon, King of the Andals and all that or, or whatever. Yeah, you know, he can only go through so many hookers and booze in one day. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, and frankly, if, you know, if you, if you run an excellent hookers and booze company, he's going to be your best customer. So you might, <laughs> yay, mm. capitalism. So the, uh, you know, it's like, this might actually work out for you. It's like, but he's one guy. You know, how much can he do? How much, can, how much damage can he really do? And the, uh, I mean, he, he, and so, you, uh, when you had finally had 1500, you had like 1500 years of that, you know, you know, post Rome, because Rome was a shit show. And you finally get to like the you know, 20th century where it's like, okay, the, uh, you know, they're like, all right, so we've had a really great time with, with this Christian monarchy thing. How about we just, you know, ruin all the progress, you know, institute regular old democracy or republics and, you know, don't, re- don't bother restraining them at all and just see what happens. Well, this what that looks like is two world wars because these this was unrestrained republican democracy, uh, you know that was you know based binging on fifteen hundred years of power accumulation. This is what two world wars look like, and this is what you know this is why we got why we got them so quickly, and you know you know because literally we just got democracy and then like what within a generation it's like all right boom two world wars hundreds of millions of people dead. It's really fascinating when you look at all this through these these sort of engineering thermodynamics mm-hmm. concepts that you integrate here. Just the idea of building up this energy, building up this energy, building up this energy. Mm-hmm. Well, th- there's going to be an explosion. The energy's got to go somewhere. Uh, so that's kind of, I think, kind of what you're saying applies here. Eventually, that price floor on the interest rate of power breaks, and then you're like, "All right, full consumption time." <laughs> And right. uh, you know, this is Let's what go to war with the world. Now. I call this little D democracy. You know, very, very little D. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. uh, these people. Have, it's a dick joke. Anyway, the uh, I got it. <laughs> so anyway, the, these uh, you know, and what so what it kind of led up to that. You know, this is getting into the fourth law, which is that you know the the you know we actually have a formula for power here that it's force over uh, over distance and time and. The uh, basically, you know, what that says is you have to actually be physically present, you know, at the distance to, you know, to apply the force to people. Like, I can't just like threaten you over my, you know, I can't have my gun here and threaten you uh, from when you're in like California. I can't threaten you across the internet. That's not going to work. I have to be physically present with my gun to actually threaten you with it. So I actually have to be able to go the distance to apply the force. And this, what, what this does is it brings us into that, into the physical plane where the, 
uh, you know, where, where the, uh, you know, and by the way, this is, this is where you're slightly different than thermodynamics. And a lot of these, they're very close to thermodynamics, but not quite the same. And you'll see that a few, and a few times I didn't point them out, but this is one time I will, where, you know, that basically what, you know, because what we're trying to say with this fourth law is that logistics is a bitch. Logistics is, is a cost to power that, you know, you actually have to be able to go the just like you can't drive a tank over a mountain. Like this just can't work. You have to find a mountain pass. So if you if there's a physical or geographical barrier in the way preventing you from applying the force, you know, you physically you you effectively have zero power. It's as if you have zero power. And this is why you'll see a lot of states, they will try to make their borders around, you know, geographic uh land you know, landmarks that you know try to separate them from other from other nations because this you know, is actually security for them because it's difficult for each of them. Uh, like if you have a mountain range, you know, it's, it's like, it's tough for a state to bring their forces over the mountain range to physically attack, you know, whatever state is on the other side of the mountain range. This is why you'll, you'll see on you, typically on two sides of a mountain, you will see different states and because they physically can't get to each other. That's the reason why if they can get to each other, they feel insecure and if you feel insecure and if the state feels insecure, this is the thing that's going to make them very violent. They don't like it when, you know, there's another state right next to them that could, then there's nothing separating them. They get very, very antsy because, they, and these are, remember, these are people who are paranoid about power and they, about lo especially losing their power. They want, I mean, they love it. They want it. They never want to give it up and they will die before they do. So what ends up happening is that you know a, a lot of times you'll have consolidation and consolidation around these geographical borders, and if they can't consolidate, this is when you get like perpetual warfare. And what ended up happening in that in the in the 20th century was that because this was like the end of the age of empires, where you had all of these trade routes that were going all around the world and crisscrossing each other, this is what was making them so incredibly antsy. And this is what you know. And then you know when they're all on like high alert because you know again they don't like it when another state can just get to them and they'll be like no this is my trade route no that's my trade route no you're crossing mine no stay out of my territory or my territorial waters etc cetera, etc cetera. they're all going to get very very you know upset about about that because they feel threatened and if the uh and eventually that you know you, you now that you finally instituted democracy is like all right time for war and because i feel threatened by you and because you're able to come into my waters and you know, and you you could be potentially applying force to me. You haven't yet, but you could, and that's more than enough for me to be frightened, and because I'm a paranoid statesman. And the uh, and so, so basically, World War One erupts, and you know it, it you know and you know and why why only stop there? If you if you can have you know if there's anything about democracy, you can do bad things bigger, better, and twice. So we get we get a second one, and. What ended up happening, you know, at, at, at the end of the Second World War, you know, America and Russia were kind of looking at each other like, oh, this is not good. Because we had, like, as Americans, we had literally just wa watched the Red Army, uh, you know, just like rape and pillage its way across northern Germany. And we're, and we're like, oh, we don't want to fight this because we were shaping up for World War III. And, you know, so what we did, what we did was we, we uh, got all of the, all of the, uh, other combatants in the uh, from Europe in in the in a room. We took them to a nice golf resort called Bretton Woods, and we said that okay, you know, we're we're going to and we're going to do the thing you do whenever you go to a business meeting at a nice resort. Instead of enjoying the nice resort, you put everyone inside in a dark room and you lock the door and you don't let anybody out until you're you know you got what you wanted. And by the end, and everyone wants to make a deal. Yeah, and so basically, that you know what we did was we brought all the allies together and we said. 
all right, so we know that you just got done shooting at each other and we're going to need you all to be on the same side now, our side, because we don't want to, we want you not in front, you know, not, uh, you know, not, you know, beside us, not behind us, but in front of us, you know, in between us and the Soviets, you know, you, you're going to be the human shield and, you know, and, and to, and to, uh, do that, we're going to be, uh, we're going to give you this Marshall plan, which is like an explicit, you know, we're bribing you to be on our team and, you know, to, uh, so basically, we we brought and these those bribes continue to this day. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> and and then you know, but they were like, uh, "This is not a good enough deal. You're you're asking us to be human shields, and you're only giving us like you know a Marshall Plan amount of money." And so you know, and and then we said, "Okay, so we're going to try something new called free trade, and where we're going to be like, okay, since all of your navies are at the bottom of the ocean now, and ours is the only one to survive the uh, survive World War II." We're going to patrol the entire global oceans, you know, with our navy and give free trade for everybody. So there are no crisscrossing empires to make anybody uh, uncomfortable. And we're going to guarantee free trade for everybody. And you know, and uh, you know, at our at our expense, we're going to pay the security costs to everybody, you know, for everybody. And this is why we've had, you know, we've never been able to say no to a war in the past, you know, eighty-ish years because you know the basically this is the bribe we bribe them with, you know, with. Uh, a free, you know, free trade for all that's free to them in the, in the sense that they don't have to pay the security costs. We do. And they end and, and, uh, because that was kind of what led up to it where they all thought they had to pay their own security costs beforehand. And now that America got, you know, and, uh, but now we kind of, you know, got away with that because now we said, okay, you're all on the same team now, our team, and we're going to provide security for you as a service. And this way you can, you know, go out, you know, send your trade ship, to go get whatever raw commodity you want, bring it back home, metabolize it into a product, and and then trade it on the on the uh, na- international market for a hard currency. That was the, and that was the second part of the bribe, you know, to be uh, for us against the. Uh, but you had to be on our team against the Soviets. So whenever the uh, this puts a little more context on. I mean, I remember there was just a huge uproar when Trump even suggested that we pay a little less to some of these countries mm-hmm. and people are thinking, well, yeah, a lot of people like maybe of our point of view or the right yep. in general might say like, well, of course they can pay. They These are rich countries. They do well. They can pay for their own whatever, but it's not really about what they can yep. do. It's about this power dynamic. Yep. And this is why we never integrated our, uh, our economy with the wider world is that, you know, because then it's not going to be a bribe because then we're just going to dominate it too. And the idea was to let them dominate, you know, and pretend as if America had lost the entire war and therefore they could rebuild their economies and feel comfortable standing in between us and the Soviet Union. And then when the, uh, in the nineties, when the Soviet Union kind of, you know, just went bankrupt and died, you know, it's like, uh, we don't have a reason for this thing anymore. Cause this thing was never about economics for us. You know, the, the empire was never about economics, economic value for us. It was about security. And now there's, there's nothing to be afraid of anymore. So this thing's been kind of running on fumes for the last 30 years. And, you know, so when Trump finally comes along, this was the incentive all along is that, you know, this, that, yeah, when he says that, hey, th- these trade deals are not working out in our favor. He's right, because we're paying for everybody else's security and we're, and we're not getting any extra benefit for it. And this is, and basically the, the, uh, I think it's the, 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 Four, he's he's made like four so far ish with like four other countries. Great Britain is on the way. Yeah, that that trade deal is on the way. And uh, but basically, when America makes a trade deal with you, that what we're saying is okay. Our military is one of the bargaining chips on the table. And what are you going to give us for it? 
And, you know, basically our part of the deal is, okay, we're going to open up our market. You're going to open up our market, your your market a little bit more because we're going to provide you extra security in the form of our Navy, you know, which has like 30 times the firepower of all of the other navies combined, most of which are allies. And so it's it's like like the, uh, you know, this is like basically free security for you. You don't have to pay for your own security. And because we've already paid for that. So when Trump comes comes along and he wants to you know destroy the free trade system that has guaranteed you know peace and prosperity for you know all the countries around the world except for America you know because we're the ones we're the security guy we're the policemen of the world which we agreed to be you know everyone's going to freak out again and uh, you know Angela Merkel came in at, later and she and she was like tried to explain to Trump like you know don't you understand that what you're suggesting is literally the death of my country cuz you know european history is you know like all, all about is germany strong or is germany weak cuz if germany's strong then you get a pan european alliance that comes and tries to take it down <laughs> and wants to put a, a bunch of knives in its back and so she's like this is the death of my country he's like i don't really care <laughs> it's not not my problem <laughs> and so the uh, and they, basically that's where we are now. Uh, we we don't have a trade deal with europe they're on their own. We don't have a trade deal in the middle east they're on their own. When you had you know that the, the Iranians came in and said, "Okay, we, we uh, you know, that, that are the Houthi rebels. You know, they bombed that refinery in Saudi Arabia, and then Trump, and then you know, M- King MBS called up Trump's like, you know, what? You know, if Reagan was in office, you know, you would have nuked Tehran already. He's like, I don't really care. You know, this is yeah. sounds like your problem, not mine. Uh, so, do you think Trump, uh, in some ways, instinctually, probably not in this engineering way that you are looking mm-hmm. at it, but maybe as more of an instinct thing, he understood some of this power dynamic, and and he can see this doesn't benefit us at all. Mm-hmm. So, we should we we shouldn't do it this way. And that's he's not looking at it from the moral point, and neither are you in this particular aspect. I'm sure you have your own moral viewpoint about it, but he was looking at it through this similar power dynamic, if even if not with uh, equations and thermodynamics and such. Yeah, well, what what it is is that you know the incentive is there, and people will find a reason you know to you know, basically to, to, to behave on the incentive. So that that this thing had been there. Yeah, you know, America doesn't give a shit about the rest of the world. We never have. We never. Uh, and uh, you know, I mean, we basically had to be lied into both both world wars and and all of the wars after that too. And just we just don't give a shit. We don't give a shit. We have a continent-sized uh, economy. We don't need to go to war to get anything. We can produce everything we want by ourselves. We don't need to import anything. And you know, it's like or I should. And I, I mean, need as in we can't physically do this by ourselves. It's not, and we can do everything by our by ourselves. We don't need everybody, everybody else. So you know, we've never cared about about it. Most of our trade is with uh, you know, uh, what's it, uh, Canada and Mexico, mostly Mexico, and. You know, it's, it's like, you know, we just trade with them. That's it. That's about it. And, but this, but we don't need this entire system that we've been paying for, for a long, long, long time. So the incentive is there and, you know, Trump found a reason. It doesn't matter what, what, the, if it was a good reason or a bad reason, what matters is the incentive was there. And now I, I this is a prediction I've made twice now. I'm going to make it again because Trump destroyed the free, the global free trade system. You know, America probably isn't going to be in any, any, uh, you know, wars for that much longer. And we're, we're kind of, you know, we, we've had like two opportunities so far, you know, to really go to war and we didn't take them because, you know, it's like, it's not in our interest anymore. We don't care about the global system. Biden still probably cares about it a little bit. And, the, you know, cause they, what the ruling class has been trying to do with this extremism for the last 30 years is, you know, try to find a replacement for the Soviet union to have all of all Americans united. The problem is that they're, they're not figuring it out. Radical Islamic extremism just doesn't do it for us anymore. 
And now you have to say white nationalism, but people are already kind of onto it. Oh, that this is all bullshit and we don't really care. This isn't going to do it for us. And, and people like Biden are kind of like, you know, the last real holdovers from, I mean, I think he was probably in the Senate during the Cold War. I mean, uh, they, they are real holdovers to that mentality. So, yeah, they're carrying it over, but the incentives have changed. So it's much le- less likely, even with some of the head of it that might have that sort of mindset, because the incentives have changed, they were, they were much less likely for that to see that scenario playing out, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And, you know, so, but to you know, move on, basically, uh, and I, I kind of, the reason I kind of predict that I don't think Biden's going to start a war either. It's like, and again, this could go, you know, it's more of a 50 50. It's not a guarantee. You know, we all want you to be right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be right. But or, well, I, no, we, I think we do want you yeah. to be right in this, yeah, in this yeah. case. It's like the <laughs> yeah. reason is that, you know, he uh, kind of, you know, he's kind of accepted all of Trump's trade deals. And the reason we know that is he, he put, instead of putting up a negotiator for, you know, for his, for the uh, trade rep, and what he did was he put up a litigator. You know, for the trade representative, that means that all we're all we care about now is just enforcing the the trade the explicit trade deals that we have, and that's why you put a litigate litigator in there. By the way, it's a litigator from Taiwan, and you can bet the Chinese Communist Party felt really really uh, you know anxious over that. <laughs> so the uh, anyway the uh, yeah if if you anyway, but let's move on because we basically said okay this is the end of the Bretton Woods order. And what ends up happening, you know, it, you know, this is the fifth law of archotropism. It's basically the second law of thermodynamics, where you end up get with the, uh, you know, in a closed system, all power is subject to entropy, you know, in parentheses, chaos, and tends toward decay. So what ends up happening, this is the end of, ends up being why you see like a four-turning cycle. You know, kind of remember this, uh, you know, like hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, right. good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times, you know, and then the cycle repeats. Well, well, there's an, another archotropic. And I think we're right in the weak men about to create hard times. Oh yeah, part oh of we that. got plenty of weak men right now. They're all pussies. <laughs> yeah, and uh, see them all around. And me. this is why and being a pussy member invites aggression. So this is like, uh, hmm. yeah, Interesting. this is where that's coming from. And so anyway, the uh, <laughs> that's got to be a t-shirt. Being a pussy invites aggression. Yeah, this is why you're, you're, you're This is why you're the one. Yeah, you know, the, the the weird kid with no friends is the one who gets picked on because he has no friends mm-hmm. to back him up. And you know right. he's kind of a social out. He's a weirdo and an outcast. He's the target. And right. it, that's not saying it's a good thing, but this is. I'm just saying this is why that happened. Sure, it's it's like you said earlier. It's no different from you know the woman alone walking down the dark alley is is much more likely to get attacked than the three dudes walking together down that very same alley. Yeah, or the cop. You know the the cop right. cars. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. You you stay away from that. But you, but you see this overturning cycle because any power structure, remember, all power is basically institutional. And this is, an, this is an, another incentive of the first law I, I didn't mention is that because uh, you know, power is basically relative, and that's why it tends towards monopoly because you know, it has less value for each of us if we fight each other, but it has more value if we decide to work together. So basically, it's not, you know, that you will always see that try to consolidate into power unless you have just one who's such, just such an asshole that you can't, you can't be reasoned with. And eventually you get one of the, you get one of those who thinks I, I I'm in charge. I can't be reasoned with, I'm not going to work together with anybody. And this is what, and, and when you, he meets another guy like that, well, that's when you get war. But until mm-hmm. then, if you have people who are just willing to work together and because that is what is more valuable, this is, you know, this is why you see, you know, based on uh, geography, again, with the fourth law, you know, states tend toward monopoly. The hierarchies, you know, that emerge to try to extract that value from of power 
you know, they tend towards monopoly because it, it's far more pro- their their efforts are far more profitable together than they are competitively. And this is why you're stupid if you're a criminal. You should just go if you want to rob people, just join the IRS. You know. <laughs> It's like it's like it's like there's only the, the ultra high time. Pressure. Yeah, but then you don't get to keep the the winnings. So well, that you get to keep some of it. I mean, those auditors <laughs> make tons of money. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, or you could just be a cop and you know have a, a what was it uh, that uh, thing where you can take uh, property from drug dealers? Uh, if I'm blanking on the name. Oh, uh, civil asset. Yeah, that one. Yeah. yeah, you just do that from drug dealers or anyone you suspect of being yeah. a drug dealer in quotes, which means anyone with yeah, some cash. Anyone at all. If you want to just rob yeah. you, just go be a cop. Uh, if you, oh, you got 50 grand, you're probably dealing drugs. That's mine now. Yeah, End of story. Exactly. And you, or you could be the cop dealing drugs. No problem. <laughs> or you could be, and, and by cop, I mean the CIA. You could be the CIA drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, that's exactly what this is. It, yeah, it, this is. This thing's a fucking monopoly. And, and, if you, and if you are so high time preference and so stupid that, you know, you can't join the monopoly on criminality. <laughs> you want to be a private criminal? Well, we're not, you know, I'm sorry. You, you know, you kind of get what's coming to you because a, there's this entire group that was there for that and would have, would have gladly accepted you as w- among their ranks. And, you know, but anyway, you know, w- w- anytime you have a hierarchy for power or any sort of institution for it, this is what, you know, but, you know, insti- a state is an institution or a hierarchy for power. So anytime you get one of those that comes up, because you know, basically, what happens with the you know the first law is that you have each generation. Once they you get one of these people in there, that's like I'm never giving up my power. You know, kind of like a Democrat, they will die in office before they give up their power. And it's, this is a, a feature you see of the left, who has a really high time preference for power. The right doesn't quite have it. We will have people resign all the time, and it's a problem. Yeah, you know, like in 2018, we lost like 40 something seats. All 40 basically were. You know, seats where a Republican incumbent had retired, and uh, because this is a problem with low time preference Republicans and low time preference people is that they get tired of being in power. It sucks. But what, anyway, what, 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 that's a, that's a different story. But but the uh, every now and then when you get these uh, people in there who just will not give up power, whatever you know it takes. Therefore, you you know what? So they only give it up in death. And this is when it ends up, when that value, remember, value is always conserved. That's when the value actually gets transferred from one wielder to another is in death. <laughs> and the, and this is why, so every now and then when you have like a one generation dies off, that's, that is when the, uh, you know, that power gets handed down to the next generation under them. And, you know, and so what will happen with this, you know, you probably heard of the fourth turning cycle where, you know, this is, you know, again, you get the hard times that, you know, where, you know, the reason that ends up occurring is that. As this, as you know, you get you get a brand new uh, order that is designed for the people it fits right then, and this is you know for them at that time. So then, as they that generation you know you know starts dying off and starts handing down that power, you know that that system was not designed for the for the next generation that came through it. But you know they can make some few tinkers and modifications because they still have a lot in common with the uh, the generation that came before them. And then that happens with the next generation and then the next generation. And then you're looking at, a, and finally at the fourth generation, you're looking at a system that has so many tweaks and changes that it doesn't work for anybody. And so we're like, fuck this thing, you know, let's get rid of, you know, it, it's got, it just doesn't work at all for anybody. So let's abolish it, get rid of it. And we're going to, uh, you know, get a strong man to come in and just, you know, destroy, you know, basically destroy our constitution and give us a new one. Cause we've had like three of them so far. You know, inf- informally, we've only had one. Informally, we've had about three. 
and this is why we say that the constitution we have right now just really isn't in, in effect. I know we don't want to get tangent too much because we got another law yeah. to get to, but can you just clarify just to, you know what what those other two, what you see as the other two constitutions are? Yeah, uh, the, the one was like Lincoln was the, the first strong man who basically destroyed the first constitution, which had been okay. in effect for about 80 years at that time. And but that he did that with the Civil War because you know, basically, he, what the one he destroyed was the one that said, okay, this is a compact and you're allowed to leave if you really want to. And uh, right. we're not doing that. It turns out we're actually we're not going to let you do that. We're destroying that. Part, that And uh, yeah, we're having this new thing where you're, you're not allowed to leave. And oh, by the way, we're going to you know, take a whole bunch of your property. We're going to free all the slaves and all this other, other crap that, you know, okay, the slave part was a good one. That, 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 you know, he, he, he kind of redeemed himself with there, right there, but everything else was just horrible. And uh, you, know, you can hear about that from uh, uh, somebody else. But the uh, we can do multiple podcasts about that, as I have done in yeah. the past. So and then so, but, but he didn't get to complete the act, and this is why you know because John Wilkes Booth shot him in the head. So basically, that was when the price. Basically, we talked about this price for it ended up getting put back because Lincoln probably would have gone on to do a lot more damage. Like he had already suspended habeas corpus, put pre- you know ended free speech. You know he he had uh, printed a, a crap ton of money, which we didn't have a, even have a central bank back then, and he gave us a, the first fiat, the greenback. And yeah, you know, which ended like the you know basically we, the Constitution says only gold and silver, and he had he had done all these things to just like you know just destroy the Constitution in order to keep the uh, you know keep the Union together. And but because John Wilkes Booth shot him in the head, you know he never got to really take it to its logical conclusion, and he got short circuited. So we kind of got a little bit lucky there, and the price floor ended up getting put back, where we ended up having to kind of go back to a gold standard, free speech return, and all that stuff. Except now you you just weren't allowed to leave anymore, and slavery wasn't a thing. So you know, one bad thing, one good thing. Well, I'll take it. And the uh, and then you get to the uh, next one, which is FDR, and he kind of had help from Woodrow Wilson, and basically he was the one who suspended the uh, you know that uh, that second corp that second uh, constitution, and with the New Deal, and he basically kind of just that you know wiped his you know wiped his butt with it, and. We have all of the uh, everything since then from the progressive era era is just all completely against the Constitution. But, you know, whatever, you know, we're still doing it anyway. You know, Social Security and welfare and all that crap is still here. So the uh, basically we're, we're on our third con- informal Constitution right now. And the anyway, but what ends up happening, you know, again, you have this uh, every every single system you get. And by the way, this is the again, we have Bretton Woods now. Which has you know it served its purpose, and you know, and now it's been modified and modified and modified. That it just it wasn't working for anybody anymore, and the whole reason we had it, the Soviet Union, is just gone. So now it's 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 an order begging to be destroyed. The incentive was there for Trump to come along and you know destroy it, and now we're and now we're we're kind of waiting for another strong man to because basically Trump got interrupted. He was you know the Julius who got betrayed by his party. You know, by the way, Julius Caesar from the party Populares for populist, you know, you know, he got betrayed by his own party. And then, you know, when he was fighting, you know, basically, you know, Julius Caesar fighting Mark Antony and, you know, the armies of Cleopatra, Cleopatra kind of slept her way into the, uh, you know, the halls of power of Rome, you know, not unlike Kamala Harris, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm just saying it's like the story is kind of playing itself out. And the next part of that story is when Augustus comes in, kicks everyone's ass and consolidates power. And into a real formal empire 
And I think that's the uh, that that's probably in our future. You know, th- th- this Rome analogy has been really working out great for us so so far. Yeah. So <laughs> I think we're about we're about ready for that strong man to come in and create good times. And it does seem it does seem that is the um, that is the direction things will go, uh, especially with how much wokeism is taking over. Um, that's bound to create a reaction that will have popular support, and that I actually fear the the reaction to wokeism more than the wokeism. And myself. thank you for that segue because this is the sixth law of archotropism <laughs> that uh, basically an overreaction from one side demands an overreaction mm. from the other side, and this is kind oh, of where you, you get that. Remember, like the uh, I think it's the third law where it's like. And, and you know, one action demands an equal and opposite reaction, and so basically, this is what you know, where you have an overreaction demands another overreaction from the opposite direction, and you see stuff. See this kind of because remember, you know, you kind of have like a middle preference for people. You see this in elections a lot, where the people kind of have a middle preference for power that's not zero, and like like the libertarians want them to have. It's somewhere in the middle between low and high, and what this is why uh, you know. Whenever one party, you know, wins, they'll let them have, you know, wins power. You know, usually the next election, they'll lose part of that power because people want something kind of in the middle. And mm-hmm. the, uh, and, it, but you'll see like if, if you have like the right really overreaches, like they kind of did in the 90s, you know, just for, uh, you know, on and on for about a decade, then you're going to, that's going to get followed up by, you know, the left overreaching for about a decade. That's the last decade of hell that we've had. And where it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And now people are like, fuck you. We're going way back. And this is kind of why we got Trump in the first place. And the left just didn't learn the lesson. And they kept overreaching even more. And now this is why, again, I think we're going to see an Augustus, you know, an Augustus Octavian from the right come along and, you know, really and really give us a much more uh, right wing order. And you see this, and you 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 see this on the macro, on kind of the micro scale too. When you have like a overbearing right wing father, they will tend to have a you know very you know kind of degenerate libertine kids who are just like they're reacting to that. And you see the, exactly the opposite. Where if you have uh, you know this, it doesn't. It's not a you know. It's not always not guaranteed. But if you have like a uh, parent who's like really laissez faire and lax and just gives their kid no structure. A lot of times those kids will have a reaction to that and they'll really want some structure. And uh, Or you get parents that drink a lot and their kids are like, I don't want to touch that stuff or vice versa. Like my parents mm-hmm. didn't drink at all. I don't think I ever saw them drink. I got to college. I was like, hey, it's on. I'm going to try that thing that I never seen even. Exactly. Had enough, so. and, you, and but you also see it at the very large macro scale where if you have a member uh, for for uh you know rome you know we we had a, a real under you know basically basically overreaction from the left you know where you had a uh you know the, the roman republic just was horrible and horrible and the uh finally it, it just couldn't sustain itself any longer and it just went bankrupt and you know it, it you know kind of degenerated down into right you know right-wing christian monarchy which was like the furthest right we've ever been and then that, and then, and that lasted for like fifteen hundred years. So imagine you were, you know, you know, imagine you had to suffer the the real hardcore Christian right for fifteen hundred years. You know, but maybe by the twentieth century, you're finally like, oh, thank God, we finally got democracy here, and we can start, you know, you know, making the shit show we've always wanted. <laughs> and uh, you start getting the progressive era, and you get all of the socialism and everything like that. And then you get, and that's the overreaction from the left. And then, so we're like, oh my God, okay, no more two, two more boards. All right, let's get a more Bretton Woods order where America is the hegemon of the planet. And, you know, which is, you know, kind of like we're, this is an empire. We're back to the right wing thing. 
And now that we've gotten sick and tired of being an empire and being a, basically a monarch, you know, the America is the monarch of the earth. This is another thing where like libertarians will say that you know, all of the other states, they live in anarchy. Well, no, they don't. They live in like statism. You know, America. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the Walter Block uh, kind yeah, of theory. I mean, basically, and, uh, you know, the, the U.S. is the uh, state of states. And, you know, they, they, this is not anarchy. This is statism. And, you know, and, you know, now this overreaction kind of from the right, you know, is now broken down and we're probably going to go back to a, uh, you know, on the on kind of the macro timeline, we'll probably go go back to the left. And but for America, because we just got done with an overreach from the left, you know, we're about to go back from an overreach from the right. And you see cycles and cycles and cycles. Uh, you, you see this thing as, kind of like as above, so below. You know, you can see it all the way down at like the, just the micro family level. And you can see it all the way up at the, you know, multi thousand year generational level. And, you know, and this is, that's the sixth law of architecture. Oh my God, I got it done in an hour and 30. You did it. I think you did it. Yeah. We started a few minutes late. So you did it. That was your, that was your big challenge to try to get through the whole thing in under 90 minutes. So so you have succeeded, Andrew. (laughs) Well, Andrew, like, like I, I am someone, I don't know. I don't have the engineering mindset, um, but um, I have like the engineering curiosity, you might say. Like I'm interested in high level concepts like this. I don't have the kind of mindset that gets me to them. So I'm hoping that people that listen to this, um, hopefully some of my questions help clarify some things. But uh, like I said, like my gut instinct is to say, so Andrew, what do we do next? But I, I agree with you. I think we got to save that for another time, mm-hmm. another show, a part two. Let people absorb this concept. And um, I, I'm sure you'd be open to this. I don't want to ask you, uh, you know, on the yeah. spot, but I'm going to. I, I'm sure you'd be willing to maybe do like an AMA, maybe for the the, the Patreon people. If if we get a bunch of questions in here yeah. um, after people absorb this interview, really take it in and really think about these concepts. So maybe we can bring you back to do that, um, either for the Pride or maybe we'll do a public show. We'll see. But I definitely do want to follow up with you on now that we've laid this idea out. Now that we've laid out all the laws here of archotropism now what what do we do i know yeah. you have a lot of ideas about that so that'll be the next step of course anyone that wants to take that step themselves you've already been doing a bunch of videos about this stuff of course over on popular liberty so feel mm-hmm. free to t- I, I feel silly in in 2021 when i ask guests like tell people how to find it because my guests are really smart they yeah. know you go to youtube and you type it but whatever just in case tell everybody how they can find everything you're doing at popular liberty the uh, yeah if you, if you want to find me i'm at uh, at popular liberty underscore on twitter i'm at uh, uh, popular space liberty on youtube you can find all of my podcasts and stuff at you know at, you know, at regular popular space liberty uh, on like Spotify, iTunes, and stuff like that. And you can find me. You know, I, I'm you know trying to get more writing done because a lot of people have been asking me to write about this stuff. And uh, I have a Substack called Anti Libertarian at Substack.com. <laughs> and that's gonna get the trolls out. Oh yeah, quick. no, it, it, or there you're the troll maybe in this case. Yeah, no, I, I named that perfectly because yeah, you know, because this this will tell me who's read it and who hasn't. That you know, basically mm. that you know, the kind of libertarianism I'm kind of trying to put forward based on this archotropism framework is you know with a uh, you know we've had heroic libertarians with heroic virtues in the past. You know, like like Ron Paul, he's a hero archetype, and I think we need something more like an arch uh, an anti-hero archetype. To, and this where I say like libertarian is anti-libertarian the way a hero is to an anti-hero. But if you're just seeing anti-libertarian and you just don't want and you haven't read it, and I and I can tell right away that you oh, like I'm we're gonna read the blog from the guy that's called the anti-libertarian. Yeah. Some libertarian he must be. I can I can see the comments. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like uh, yeah, I can tell immediately who's read the blog and who hasn't because that's like literally in the in the descri- blog description is that you know, syllogism right there. So that's that's where you can find my writings. I'm trying to 
do a little more writing about uh, why degeneracy causes weakness and de- and you can't have you know uh, degeneracy and an anarchy because that's going to cause it to fail. That makes it a target. What about just a little degeneracy? Just a tiny bit. No, just like a tiny target on your back instead of a big one. Yeah, there, there, there you go. <laughs> I can handle a tiny target. And uh, but yeah, the, the the final thought I'll leave the uh, the pride with is hey you. Uh, Remember that my my first two assumptions is that you know statecraft is profitable. We kind of saw this last year where it was like ten trillion dollars of you know profit from you know statecraft and aggression. So aggression is profitable. That's the incentive. That's why it's going to get done. And hierarchy is in, is inevitable. So therefore, you're going to get a hierarchy for aggression as inevitable. What do you do about it? It's like that. This is the post libertarian question that you know you've got have you've had Matt Erickson on as well. And uh, yeah. uh, and other guys, this is what we're trying to answer: is that you know that these states are basically inevitable for those two reasons. What do you do? All right. Well, that is a question that uh, I know you and others and I will all be exploring in the coming who knows how long, maybe the rest of our lives. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, it is interesting to me that you're kind of the conjunction between several things here because you are sort of, you know, part of this, I guess, post-libertarian group of, mm-hmm. of, of people that's kind of saying, what do we do now? How do we tackle these problems? How do we deal with like the facts as we see them? Or in your case, how do we deal with, okay, I've, I've, uh, I've uncovered, you might say, these laws of archotropism. Now, how do we act? Um, and, and a lot of those people in that circle are criticizing the Dave Smith Mises Caucus approach to act in in that way. Uh, whereas, um, and and you probably you know would would have the same similar criticisms. Uh, but you're also the the admin of the inner circle and a big fan of Dave Smith. Okay. So I think maybe you're the perfect person here to really bridge the divide yeah, the uh, between these. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Andrew, it's been it's been awesome talking to you. Awesome to dive in into this concept more. Um, I, I would tell everyone, listen to this. If, if you're still wrapped around your head a little bit, maybe go listen to the, your interview with Pete. Maybe the, the two of them together can really help people solidify this concept. And uh, I'm, I'm absolutely interested in, in having you back on and digging into this a little further and seeing where we go from here. Yep. So, Andrew, keep up the great work. You're doing great stuff over on Popular Liberty. So keep it up. Keep on roaring. Yep. Oh, roaring like Scar. <laughs> All right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with scar with andrew uh, of popular liberty be sure to check out his youtube channel popular liberty where he dives into this and related topics in a in very extreme detail so if you're fascinated by uh this conversation today if you want to learn more go check out popular liberty uh you can also send in questions i, I do know i'm going to do a follow-up with andrew at some point in the coming months uh for sure so uh i'm very excited about this conversation i really really had a blast it is a very a very deep, intense subject, but I think like understanding the nature of power is so important, especially for libertarians. And I think it's difficult because we reject the power in many ways, uh, or at least that's kind of what we've what we've kind of been taught to do, or what we've been told to do by uh, libertarian philosophers and such. And you know, it's it's one thing to say that the power shouldn't exist or that the power shouldn't be yielded in X, Y, or Z way. And it's another thing to recognize how power actually works. And once you recognize how power works, then you can figure out how to deal with that. Maybe you still want to reject it and go your own way, but at least you can understand the systems that sort of exist and crop up around you. And that's, that's my summary of why this episode is important. So I do want to remind you guys, of course, it's not just me here. Every single Monday on the flagship with great interviews like this one with a bunch of debates coming up. That's right. I have a lot of debates lined up. Um, I'm not going to make the formal announcement yet, but let's just say 
Debates are coming. That's all I'm going to say right now. But of course, once you've had enough of me on Mondays, you got to listen to Brian come at you. Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday coming at you, coming at you hot with his hot takes on all things liberty, culture, comedy, the whole package you get on Electric Liberty Land. While John Odie Odermatt wraps things up on Thursdays with his exploration into all the ways that you can find your freedom. On his show, Finding Freedom, every single Thursday. You get all these shows, all three, for the price of one. That price is free. All you got to do, slap the heck out of that subscribe button and listen to us roar three days a week. And if you just can't get enough, there's even more for you waiting behind the paywall over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, where you get tons of bonus content, conspiracy corner, degenerate gamblers, bonus segments with guests. Sometimes you even get an extra two hours of show like we had last week on our Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor episode with Buck Johnson. I'm not joking. We have a whole two extra hours that our Patreon, our pride got to hear. So, hey, if you're going to find better value in the Liberty world for five bucks a month, I want to know about it because I don't know where it is because I nobody provides the amount of content, the amount of extra content we do to our patrons. I'm willing to stand by that one. So head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty if you would like to support this, the greatest Liberty variety show on earth. And until next time, my friends. Live long and live free.